The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. Love is an active noun. I'm very excited to be here with you today uh, for my first preaching. I have to admit, when I agreed to this date, way back when, I never expected to be doing it in this fashion, remotely, from this tiny little space here in my house, but here we are, COVID-19, the 2020 edition. And I think the most cringy part of this situation might be that since it is being done remotely, and I'm filming this a couple days before Sunday, I will be watching myself on the couch, perhaps, when it airs. Maybe I'll step away from the computer screen for that point in time. Anyhow, I'm very happy to be here with you. I'm going to say up front that my words are my own. They are not representative of any organization that I'm affiliated with. I know that's probably unusual to say in these uh, in this setting, but uh, I feel compelled to do that because of my work with in a local school district, and I'm a fan of clear boundaries in these things. So this message series is entitled... Love the hell out of this world. And it's based on the universalist belief that the whole world and everyone in it is worth saving. No exceptions. We talk about our beloved community here at Wellsprings and how this beloved community extends beyond our four walls, whether they're virtual or real, and really encompasses all of those with whom we come into contact. And it's far too easy to see the opposite of this type of love, to see the demagogues who want to divide us into tribal groups who prey upon our fears. Our faith tells us that each of us is beloved, regardless of what you look like, where you come from, or even who you voted for. At the core of that belief, though, is a challenge. How do we live out this faith with each other today, right now? So I've been pondering what it is that drew me to want to preach about this series. And what's emerged from me are two aspects of my life that resonated deeply with universalism. First, my chosen profession in special education. And second, my love for Mr. Rogers. And like many of you, I watched Mr. Rogers growing up, and I was lucky enough to have family around me that reinforced his ways of thinking and feeling and caring for others. I don't think I realized, though, until later in life, how much of his message of, I like you just the way you are, had sunk so deep inside of me. This was brought home to me when I listened to a podcast series called Finding Fred, hosted by another Southwestern PA native, author Carvel Wallace. Uh, Mr. Wallace is a best-selling author of The Sixth Man and uh, other works, and there's, there's a lot to like about this podcast, and I highly recommend it. It might be the first podcast series where I listen to every single episode, and uh, the Atlantic Magazine named it the best podcast of 2019. So this podcast is a deep examination of the radical compassion presented by Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the TV show. And the host talks openly in the first episode about exploring why there's been a resurgence in interest in Fred Rogers in recent years, and What does this show have to teach us about being in this world, which feels more divided than ever? He interviews writers, comedians, activists, uh, those involved in making the show, researchers, uh, people like Angel Kyoto Williams, Kamau Bell, Ashley C. Ford, and uh, David Bianculli. 
Wallace calls Fred Rogers a genius of empathy. And there's a rich appreciation of how the show helped children understand their feelings, naming those feelings, and helping youngsters recognize that you could have all sorts of different kinds of feelings, and what matters is what you do with those feelings. But he also places the show as being progressive and almost subversive, and makes, compar- makes some connection between Mr. Rogers' Christianity and how that shaped his work. For example, he does an in-depth examination of a famous episode involving the character Officer Francois Clemens. Now, Officer Clemens is a police officer who is African-American. And Mr. Rogers offers to share a foot bath when Officer Clemens stops by on his tour of the neighborhood. Now, this is the late 1960s, so think about how deeply radical and subversive that is for the time. First, simply depicting as normal the existence of a black police officer is noteworthy. Second, while other communities were barring African Americans from swimming in pools frequented by whites, here was someone who showed no concern for those practices. Officer Clemens is making the rounds in the neighborhood. It's a hot day. Mr. Rogers is sitting outside, his feet in a nice little pool, soaking his feet. And they share this together. And at the end, Mr. Rogers shares his towel with Officer Clemens. Wallace interviews Clemens and what that scene meant to him. He stated that there were maybe 10 white people in the country at that time who would have done what Fred Rogers did on that day. But they also discussed the limits of Mr. Rogers' subversiveness, pointing out that while Rogers knew that Clemens was gay, on the show, he remained closeted, and how Clemens makes sense of that years later. In the last episode, entitled, I Like You As You Are, they're talking about the importance of understanding feelings and the complexity that is love. And the host says something like, I thought love was just a stronger version of like. Not just liking somebody, but really, really liking them. So I get that because when you're raised on a bunch of bad 80s movies, you can be forgiven for thinking that love means being Lloyd Dobler holding up a boombox for your love until her father comes out to kick you away. Maybe it was teen hormones and angst, or maybe Lloyd Dobler really, really liked her. I don't know if it was love. Loving others is a deeper act than this. That's what universalism is. And Mr. Rogers and the Buddha and maybe others ask us to do. In that last episode, the host distills it down to this. Fred Rogers said that love is an active noun, like the word struggle. Love is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is. To accept ourselves as we are right now. And, and this is the hard part, love has nothing to do with liking other people. So I was running while listening to this podcast. And that sentence made me stop to pause. I wanted to note where it was so I could come back to it. Because this is the part where I was reminded of universalism. Our faith asks us to operate on the assumption that we have a love so special, you don't have to be special to be loved. We're born whole. We're born with original blessing, as some say. It's here I recognize the connection between universalism and Mr. Rogers. Before, it was one of those ideas 
that was maybe a faint path in the woods. But now, this was a clear pathway between Mr. Rogers and universalism. Regardless of the person he was talking to, he was always showing us a way to listen deeply and fully to them, recognizing their common humanity, signifying the worth of each person. This is hard to do. And in fact, the hosts and guests on the podcast wrestle with this idea of accepting others as they are, while still being troubled by what those people might do or say. They frequently ask, how do you balance this out? How do you make peace with this? How do we explain this to our children? It's easy to talk about unconditional love of your child, for example. But what of others? What if there is someone whose behaviors or statements are upsetting? How do we see that person? Do we offer them the same type of compassion that we offer our own child? What if they've hurt us? Over time, maybe we start to dislike them, dislike the person they've become, perhaps, maybe even hate them. Then we may feel guilt over those feelings. I know I've had these, these experiences and thoughts. But loving also means accountability, being accountable for your own actions and statements. And also being with the other person in loving kindness to help them notice when their behavior has broken some boundary. Anyone who's raised a child or been around children may recognize this. You might recall a situation in which your child violated some norm, maybe it was in public, and you tell them, you know, I love you, but don't ever do that again, and here's why it's not okay. You still love them but you have to hold them accountable for their actions so they grow. And this is where I started to sense the connection with the other aspect of my life that resonated deeply with universalism, my profession in special education. A foundational idea is that all children deserve to be educated to the fullness of their capacity, regardless of ability. And I want to point out disability covers a very broad range of needs, and abilities from students with attention issues to dyslexia to severe cognitive impairments to physical impairments it's a big range now i was a special education teacher before becoming a unitarian universalist and what drew me to the field was a desire to help students who struggled in school whether it was academic or behavioral when i found myself working with those students i recognized this was what i was meant to do People have a lot of different reasons for going into teaching, but I think a necessary one is a love of working with young people. After some years of experience or aging, you realize that you've likely met the full range of humanity and their children, regardless of what kind of school you work in. So how is this related to the idea of loving even those who are unlikable? I struggled with this. It's hard for me to consider a youngster as being unlikable. And I want to respect the experience of students by being choosy as to how or even if I share experiences that I've had over the years. However, if you have kids, you're aware they can make some decisions from time to time um, that are poor decisions. They press your buttons, things of that nature. I started to think about some of the challenging situations I had faced, even before being where I am now. I thought at a time when one of my students had been convinced by others to say something unlikable and disrespectful to a police officer. This was a student who struggled socially, and I don't think he recognized the impact his words would have. But what happened was, 
we had to work through that situation with the student, diffuse it, and then identify what would be an appropriate way to respond. Was the behavior unlikable? Yes. Does the student deserve less love or to be exiled? No. Because the challenging situations arise when our children don't yet have the words to name the feelings they're experiencing, so they might act out with behaviors. And if you operate on the assumption that all behavior communicates, then you know that they're trying to tell you something. They're trying to tell themselves something. They're trying to make sense out of the situation. This could be an adult or a child. They still deserve our love. So when I talk about when I talk with our special education teachers about a student, they might smile and say something like, oh, he's being a little naughty today. And I know they mean the kid is pushing the boundaries a bit, uh, but they're loving him up to get him back on track. And I'm pretty certain most are not you use. But uh, in that moment, they're feeling that universalist vibe of what it means to be a special education teacher. And this brings it back to the core that our universalist faith has a hefty request of us. How to love people when it can be hard to do so. Being accountable to them and asking them to be accountable to us in their actions and words while recognizing their worth as another person despite our differences, despite their tribe or our tribe, despite who they voted for or who we voted for. Because the, the easy way out is to push them aside, to demean them, just resign them to some endless other of which we don't belong. Universalism and Mr. Rogers asks us to listen fully, see fully the other person, because we're all in this together. So how do we do this? We start with ourselves. I know many of us have some sort of mindfulness or meditation practice. The practice of metta or loving kindness fits well in this need. The idea being that you first provide your own self-compassion and then expand it outwards and what I envision to be concentric circles of loving kindness. As you meditate, you can repeat a short phrase. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be peaceful and at ease. And then you expand it outwards. May all beings be safe. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be peaceful and at ease. So, what I'd like to do today is take a moment to practice this with you right now. Place yourself into a comfortable position. Straighten your spine. Take an in-breath. An out-breath. If you feel comfortable saying the mantra out loud, do so. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be peaceful and at ease. And then we turn our focus to others. May all beings be safe. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be peaceful and at ease. May all beings be safe. May all beings 
be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be peaceful and at ease. And so today, my friends, my wish for you is to have and feel this loving kindness, to see our common, common humanity that is the core of our universalism. May you live in blessing. Amen. Will you pray with me? God of our understanding, let us strive to see the humanity of others as we go about our day-to-day lives. Let us strive to listen deeply when given the chance. Let us strive to ask skillful questions so that we may understand even those with whom we disagree or even dislike. Let us know we are all in this together and that the breadth of our human experience is a vast tapestry in which we all have a place. For the prayers I've spoken and the prayers on the hearts of all those listening today, I say, Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.